trying to emphasize we're interested in being the church we read about in the Bible, emphasizing that church had no specific mission. And a lot of the questions we have sometimes in life about can the church do this or should the church do this, it comes back to understanding that mission. And the fourfold mission that we've focused upon is to worship God, is to make disciples, it's to train those disciples to serve others, and then it's to take care of the church. So in our first chair series, we've talked about evangelism and what and how the church can evangelize. And last week, we talked about taking care of the needy and the specifics on that, how and what can a church do with that. And so this evening, kind of going off my sermon this morning about do churches evolve and what all can churches do, we're going to talk about some more things kind of along that line. We, again, hope this will be helpful for you. And we hope that uh, as we kind of bank these in our archives someday, you can go back to them and kind of learn and listen and kind of grow from some of these things. I want to just highlight what you said a moment ago to make sure that, that it's heard loud and clear. We love questions. When, when people are willing to ask questions, that shows you're thinking, you're weighing, you're, you're turning things over in your mind, you're... Uh, you're trying to reconcile what you often see in the world with uh, what we find in the Scriptures. And if that doesn't exactly match up, does that matter? And, and how should we reconcile that? And so, in many ways, what we've done over the course of the last couple of weeks ha has really been in response to conversations with some of you, questions that you have asked. And I, I hope what you hear from that is... Keep thinking, keep asking questions, keep seeking to, to understand more deeply God's will for all of our right. lives. You know, we're, we're reminded of the Bereans who searched the scriptures daily. Mm -hmm. they, they were hearing things and they went to the Bible to search it. Uh, when we just accept things, just take it, we don't think about it, that's not a good thing. And it's been five weeks, not two weeks. It has. Did yes. I say two? You did. Did I say a couple? Yes. <laughs> it's been several. Yes. yes. All right. I'm done. Are you done? Let's go. Okay. So, first question. Uh, it's often uh, asked or stated, why doesn't the church do more? And what's meant by that? What's meant by that? If you got your Bible, let's open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21, where I'll be in just a moment. As I thought about that question over the last couple of days, it seems to me as if, I, I know it's been true in my life, and perhaps it's been true in yours, as you you grow in your understanding of the, the narrative of Scripture, the big arc of Scripture, it has been easy for me in the past to think, well, way back then there were things like the tabernacle and the temple, and that was interesting. It would have been interesting to see, but today in the era of the church, we're really far removed from that. There aren't very many connections between those two things. And I don't think that's right. In fact, I'm, I'm almost certain <laughs> that's, that's not right. Um, if I could shamelessly commend something to you, um, if you have been here in the auditorium in Bible classes, then certainly I know that you have been studying valuable uh, material but this past month in our Building Blocks track of studies, we spent the month just examining what is worship. And particularly, 
on Wednesday evenings, we looked at worship then and now, and how then there were sacrifices. Now we don't offer animal sacrifices, but there are still sacrifices. We are to be the sacrifices. And and back then there were priests, but today we are to be the priests. And back then was a tabernacle and a temple and And it would have been awesome to see that. But I want you to think, way back in the days of Moses, if someone had come along and said to Moses, you know, you've got this big tabernacle complex, you got all of these veils all around and a a tent on the inside of that, and uh, you know, you do the religious stuff that needs to be done, but when nothing's going on in there, that's a nice fenced-in area, lots of room to run around. Why don't we turn that into a playground? Can you imagine... (laughs) Based on your understanding of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, can you imagine what would have happened if a bunch of parents brought kids in there and tried to turn that into a playground? Or you move from the the era of the tabernacle to the temple. You've got your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 21. You remember toward the end of his life, where Jesus, in verse 12 of Matthew 21, enters the temple and drives out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Basically, it had been turned into an outdoor flea market. And he says, it is written... My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. You know, if, if people had come along and said, well, it's not that big of a deal to have this big flea market right here in the temple complex. We know how God felt about that. And I say all of that to say, don't buy into this idea that, well, tabernacle, temple, sacred stuff back then, but we're in a different era. We are the temple of the living God today. And if you would like to dig into that a little more, all of those lessons are are, are on the website. But I, I would just encourage you to think, How would Moses have responded had a a parent come along and said, Moses, why don't we do more with this tabernacle? Or someone in Jesus' day, why why doesn't the temple do more? Well, well, it had a God-defined purpose. And I hope over the course of the last four or five weeks, we've grown in our understanding, so does the church. Absolutely. And, And so... You know, I, I hear that question a lot. Why, do, why doesn't this church do more? And when I hear that, my first answer is, what are you wanting? More podcasts? More blogs? More classes during the week? What's the church supposed to do? You understand that function, that answers that question. But what a lot of people have in mind is, well, why don't we do more for the community? Yes, I'm for that. But let's stay in our lane. Remember the lesson last week, stay in your lane, bro? 
let's stay in our lane. Because what a lot of folks have in mind is, why don't we have some things for Christmas for the people in the community? Why don't we do this? And what we've done is we've forgotten that mission and that purpose of the church. Doing more, I'm for that. I think we need to do more, but we've got to stay in our lane. Remember that purpose. All right, so let's, let's take that a step further, bounce off of where you were today. We know that many churches have all sorts of social activities, gyms, kitchens, sports teams, daycare, you mentioned this morning. Let's just zero in on that for a moment. Are those sorts of things within the scope of that God-defined mission? You know, as we talked last week uh, in the morning sermon about staying in your lane, we talked about there's a difference between the church and the individual. There's also a difference between the family and the church. And a lot of those functions are really extensions of the family. Nothing wrong with getting a bunch of people together, young people, teenagers, old people, doesn't matter, just get together, let's have some potlucks, everything. keep the church out of that. That's an extension of the home. I actually know a Christian up in Kokomo, Indiana, who bought a gym. He owns it privately, and he allows people to come over and do all kinds of things in there, but it doesn't have the connection to the church. And that, again, is understanding the mission. Over in the book of Ephesians, we're there this morning, Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Again, remembering what God gave, okay? Ephesians 4 and, and verse 11, it says, He gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. How does the body of Christ grow? It's through that avenue. That's what God established. That keeps it in that lane. That keeps it in that mission. We need to see. So, so, so you're saying gyms are wrong. No, but they're not part of the church. Are you saying kitchens are wrong? Better not be. I got one in my house. Okay? <laughs> I plan to be there real soon. Okay? <laughs> kitchens are not wrong, but they're not a part of the church. Well, what about us just eating it together? Let's do it but not as an extension of the church. That's not the activity of the church. The activity of the church is, again, fourfold. Remember this. It's to praise God or worship God. It's to make disciples, train those disciples, and take care of the church. And so if it doesn't fit in that scope, it doesn't do that. And so, again, we have to see nothing wrong with teenagers getting together on Friday night, nothing wrong going to a movie theater, nothing wrong doing anything. But you got to see who is that a part of. It's part of the family as God wants us to be. I think you see that in the earliest description of the church in Acts chapter 2. After their response to the gospel in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That, that was inherent in that mission that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But remember the trap of it's got to be either or. It's, it is not either or in Acts chapter 2. We, we hear what they were devoted to together, but we also hear just a few verses down that day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's not either or. It is the glories of both and, right? But allowing the church to fulfill 
its God-defined mission. That's it. That's it. So, next question. What does the term social gospel mean? We hear that sometimes. All right. Let's go back in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, where I will be in just a moment. Different people mean different things by social gospel. Uh, back about 100 years ago, in the early 20th century, what it came to mean really was a, a, a social movement on the part of a variety of religious organizations and, and Protestant denominations primarily where they were seeking to apply Christian ethics, the Christian way of life to a variety of different social problems. And so about a hundred years ago in this country, you hear a lot about the social gospel in connection with social justice, economic inequality, poverty, uh, plague of alcoholism, crime, child labor, affordable housing, care for the environment, all a variety of different causes to various degrees that, that, that we as citizens of this planet and, and even disciples of Jesus we, 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 we ought to be aware of. But what was happening about a hundred years ago is you, you hear a variety of leaders saying, well, this is how we fulfill Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There were many people who believed that Jesus is not going to return until all of these social ills and evils are worked out. It's called post-millennialism. Jesus will come when we all get our act together. And so who better than the church to spur on society to get its act together. Now, there's a reason why a hundred years later we don't hear a lot about that. It was largely a failed experiment. I would argue because the founder never gave the church that mission. It evolved in the mid-20th century, as I understand it, really to be more, well, why don't we as the church just do more together socially? And if we do that and, and offer these social hooks and, and a variety of things that we are offering, uh, perhaps we can provide a, a place for the neighborhood kids to play basketball and once they're done playing basketball, we can share a Bible lesson with them. There's some fundamental problems with that, however. What, what would you well, I want to hear, say? I want to hear your answer Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. We're going to talk about that more with food in just a moment. But again, it goes back to, did Jesus ever model that himself? We'll dig a little more in the next few minutes about that. My contention is no. Did he ever encourage the disciples to do that? What would the Apostle Paul, for instance, do when he came to a new city? You read in Acts over and over and over and over again this simple pattern. He would go to the synagogue, reason with Jews who ought to have the context of God's story. And as long as they were willing to reason with him from the Scriptures, he'd stay right there. When they were not willing... He would turn his attention to the Gentiles, 
but always read Acts chapter 17 with him in the city of Athens. It's not, okay, how are we going to socially get the attention of all of these Athenians and slip some Bible into that somehow at the appropriate time? It is unashamedly announcing as a herald of the gospel, there is a God and you need to be reconciled to him and this is how that's done. And the people who were willing to do that became a church in Athens. And, and it took and off so, from there. And they knew up front what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we're getting together and we're eating and, oh, now you're going to preach to me. Oh, I didn't Never know bait or, and or, switch. Or, or, or we're playing a ball game and now we're going to say a prayer. Oh, I thought we were just playing yeah. a ball game. They were up front with us. We're, we're preaching Jesus. We're teaching Jesus. It was very forward, very upfront. No one got to. Now, some people didn't agree with it. Some people walked away. Some people chased Paul, put him in jail. They, they rejected what he said, but they knew up front this is what this is about. And again, that mission, that purpose was clear, and that's what they followed. Yeah. And, and that's what again. Now, again, one good thing often opens the door for another thing, and then another thing, and pretty soon, once those doors are open, you can't close them. So, so if we say, let's get our teens together on Friday night, and we're, we're going to let them play ball, it's going to be part of the church here, we're going to rent a gym, and we'll have a Bible lesson after we're done playing ball. After two or three weeks or two or three months, we say, you know, we get tired of renting a gym, why don't we just build a gym? Then why don't we hire a basketball coach? You see how the door is opening? Then why don't we get a locker room? Got to get showers. On and on. The the never-ending problem. Okay? And we started looking at that. Where's that in the Bible? It's not. And so that's typical of a lot of social things. They begin with good intentions. But this is hooked to this, which leads to this, which leads to this. And about five steps down the road, it looks so far away from what you read in the Bible, you don't see anything like that. Again, it is not either or. It is not that our eyes are to be blind to the social ills and evils of our society. It is not that, well, you know, we're, we're here for just a little while and so we don't care about uh, this, this planet and its future. It's not any of those things, but it is seeing it all through what the king and founder said. My kingdom is not of this world. And so let's let's be laser focused on what he has defined that kingdom as. We've used the example of the post office before. I mean, I'll, I'll be going there tomorrow. I'll go there about every day. And when I go in there, I can say, you know, this sure would be sweet if you had some donuts in this place. <laughs> they never have any donuts in the post office. That's not their job. It's not their function. They'll sell stamps. They'll sell you boxes. They'll mail stuff to you. But they are not going to have donuts in there. And somebody can, can walk around that building with signs. You can protest. You can say, I'm never going to the post office again the rest of my life. But that is not their lane. That's not their function. And when we get that with the church... We understand that. And so if the church isn't to have gyms and, and, and have kids doing these things, who should? Moms and dads. That's our extension, and that's what we should be doing. All right. So throughout this series, we've used a variety, some big words. We've talked about institutionalism. We've talked about sponsoring churches. We've, we've briefly talked about the social gospel. 
where, if it's not in the Bible, where did it come from? Well, let, let's, let's first of all understand, um, and if, if you're my age or older, you know that there's been some divisions in the church as a whole through the years. And some of our brethren have seen different on these very issues we've talked about. We're not talking about that they have two heads, they have horns, and they're wicked people. Good, good, good people. And most of these come about from people who have a heart that just thinks about, we need to be doing this for the community, or we need to do this. We could do more in these things. But in, in, in their desire to help others, they've forgotten the purpose that God had designed for the church. They've crossed into some other lanes, and they've developed these things. So again, a passage like Colossians 3, 17, that we've used throughout this series. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We have to follow the authority of Jesus every time. And, and so that, that's where it comes from. It, it, it comes from a desire to help others. It's not people who say, you know what, I want to tear the church up. I, I, I want to split this thing. I want, I, want, I want to split Charlestown Road right down the middle and have people leave it screaming. That's not what it's about. It's about people who, want, who have a good heart and they want to do things. But sometimes they just forget this idea of the mission of the church, the mission of the home, the mission of the family. And when those lines get crossed, that's where some of these things come from. Good? Good. Good. Okay, so uh, where are we at here? Number, okay, I'll just read on screen, okay. What about conducting a retreat for women or, or camps for children? Would that be okay? Let's go back in our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Let me remind you of an important statement that we heard a, a few weeks ago that, that sure does seem to be relevant here. I appreciate how you, you have brought out individual responsibility, the, the responsibility of the home, opportunities of the home. I would lean on the wisdom of the apostles here. If you remember, uh, Ananias and Sapphira see a lot of good that is being done in the church that we can read about in Acts chapter 4. There are, are needy saints that we talked about last week. There are people who have things that they can sell in order to make sure that their brothers or sisters in Christ are taken care of. And in verse 1 of Acts chapter 5, this man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, nothing wrong with that whatsoever, with his wife knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. That in and of itself is not a problem, right? To sell something, let, let's say $1,000 for just the sake of, uh, of easy discussion and to say, okay, $500 I'm going to give, $500 I'm going to keep. Where he gets himself in trouble is the lie of this is what I sold it for, and look at how amazing this is that I'm giving every single bit of it away. Peter in verse 3 says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Listen to this basic principle in verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? There are things regarding the church that are not at my disposal. 
There are things that are not under Roger or your or my or anyone else's control. But you as an individual, your, your money is at your disposal. Your, your house is under your disposal, under your control. And most certainly uh, for women to get together for a, a, a retreat where they're going to enjoy time together and study together and pray together and laugh and sing and, and, and all of these things. Nothing wrong with that. To, to have some sort of a getaway for uh, children. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. As it's organized by individual disciples, by homes. This is not the, the church's mission. I, I would lean on the wisdom of, of Acts chapter 5 here, that there are some things that we get to decide how, how we're going to use them, what, what advantages we're going to create for others. But we come back to let the church be the church. Okay, so um, I got a question that you don't have here. All so, right. So, that seems to be a theme every week. It does. It's called Stump the Preacher. <laughs> I can't stump it. <laughs> so uh, in January, we're going to launch nine new groups. And we're, we'll, we'll be telling you all about that down the road here. Lots of excitement about that and, and different things. Those groups are part of this congregation, a part of this work. What's the difference? What's the difference in saying we're going to have a group, groups going to meet, and then we're going to say we're going to have a camp. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. Stumped you, huh? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll see. Maybe you did. <laughs> Maybe this will. But this is my, my immediate knee-jerk reaction to this. We need to pay attention to the way the church is described. We need to pay attention to the way the churches work. Its activity is described, and as time is yours, it's under your control, I would encourage you to go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice how often the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, when you come together, he says it over and over and over and over again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me just give you an example in, uh, I believe it's verse 18. Yeah, For, uh, let's back up to verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part. He, he goes on from there. But that, language is really significant here. I mean, there were individual Christians who lived all over the city of Corinth. And for them to get together periodically in, in small groups because they enjoyed each other's company or they wanted to do this or that in the service of someone, wonderful. And if they determine, okay, we're, we're, we're going to get away into the Corinthian countryside this weekend and we're going to create this opportunity for our, our kids, fantastic. But you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and Paul has very specific instructions about 
when you come together. That, that's what the word church even means itself. It doesn't inherently have to have a religious context. It is people who are called together for some some purpose, right? And so that it, it is in that context that he says, listen, there's problems here about the observance of the Lord's Supper. And this is not about you being hungry and satisfying, you know, the, the rumblings in your stomach. If you're hungry, eat at home. Is not your home under your control? <laughs> While it remains unsold, can you not do w w what you want with that home? But when you come together as a church, there is a defined mission. And, 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 I, and if you underline your Bible, I underline the phrase as a church. As a church. We may come together to go to a ball game. Yeah. And that, that defines the function. We're going to go to a ball game. We're going to get, get a whole bunch of us together and we're going to go to a movie. That defines the function. But when we come together as a church, that's the function. We're coming together. Well, what's the church supposed to do? Back to those four things again, aren't we? Got to worship God, got to make disciples, got to train them, and we got to help the church. So, so we come together for that intention, for that. That puts us in that lane, and that defines what we're supposed to do. All right. Did I pass the test? You did. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right. It sure does seem that this series has limited most of the work a congregation does to the local level. Is that intentional? Why? It is. Why it is, is that way? Your very first kickoff lesson in this series talked about what we call the universal church, the church everywhere, not governed by location or time. Um, members of this congregation that we love so dearly that's passed away, they're still part of God's church. Not this congregation, but of God's church. That, that church, that function, that body does not operate on earth in a sense. Where God's activity is, is in what we call the local congregation. It's in the local church. And so we read about Ephesus. We read about Corinth. We could talk about Charlestown Road. You go to Revelation 2 and 3, there's seven churches listed there. That's where the life and the, and the activity takes place. And so the work that's to be done is to be done within the local finds of a congregation. And that's how it's supposed to be. And so that... That, again, is illustrated. And so we, we've got things in Corinth. we were, we got Corinthians. We've got things in Ephesus. There's a letter to Ephesus because that's where the, the activity is. We don't have, again, as we've mentioned before, there's no hierarchy. There's no big board above all this. It's each individual church as it is. So um, number seven in our list here, um, didn't Jesus use food to attract people? Why can't the church do the same? So we briefly referenced it last Sunday night. Open your Bible with me and let's do a little bit of reading from John chapter 6. I wish that we had the time to read the entire chapter. I, I would encourage you to add that uh, to, to something very good to read in addition to 1 Corinthians 11 sometime soon. Let me just briefly fly over and remind you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Jesus is there in the region of Galilee. He miraculously feeds more than 5,000 people with a couple of barley loaves and a few fish. And that gets, as you can imagine, the attention of a whole lot of people. Verse 22 of John chapter 6. Jesus has gone to the other side of the sea. And on the next day, verse 22, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And they want to know, well, why, why'd you do this? And, and when did you get here? And Jesus, knowing their hearts, in verse 26, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. We briefly drew attention to that word last Sunday evening. Words matter. What was the point in Jesus' own words of that miracle? It was a sign. A sign of what? The, the fact that there is something about this man that we need to listen to. And if he is able to do this and he's telling us to do X, Y, and Z, we ought to listen. The problem is they're not seeking him because they saw a sign, but because they ate their fill of the loaves. And he moves on from there. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He goes on from there to begin to describe himself as the bread that has come down from heaven. And they reason with him, well, Moses gave people something to eat, and Jesus pulls them back to, no, no, no. You need to understand who I am. You need to listen to these words. And when it eventually becomes clear that he's not going to give them any more food, a whole lot of them, even of his disciples, decide we're not in this anymore. And it's there that Jesus, at the very end of the chapter, verse 67, says to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? To which Simon Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You make the best fish sandwiches. <laughs> no, that's not what he says. You have the words of eternal life. And I would suggest to you, if you follow the flow of John's gospel from that point, it is the words of eternal life. Jesus did not put on carnival shows to impress people or hook them or deceive them into following him with some sort of bait and switch technique. There were signs that he did but it was always pointing to the words of life. And it just so happens, we, we've learned over the course of the last few weeks, that's at the heartbeat of our mission. Absolutely. And you, we think about the parable of the sower. Uh, it's a good and honest heart that brought forth what God wants. And so, uh, again, the teaching of God's word, it's, it's in the forefront, and that's what needs to be done. All right. So it's not uncommon then for someone to say, well, what do we have to offer there is so much brokenness in the right. world what do we actually have to offer and again when we think about the fourfold purpose of the church worship god make disciples train those disciples help the church that's all spiritual driven that's what the church is all about spiritually driven so it's going to get cold we're coming into winter time it's going to get cold this week church goes out and buys somebody a coat great loses soul goes to hell. What good's that? The mission of the church is spiritual. It's to help people spiritually. So what we offer this broken community is hope. 
is, is that in, in a world of despair, in, in, in a world of pandemic, in a time of fear, a time of selfishness, that there is a better way, in the way of Jesus Christ. And we offer that through our services. We offer that through our podcasts, through our blogs, through many, many avenues we're putting out here. It's the teaching of God's word. What will change this community, what will change this nation, is not getting a different president, is not gutting the Supreme Court, is not changing the, the Congress or the House of Representatives. What's going to change this country is Jesus Christ. And when people get Jesus Christ in their hearts, the things will change. And so who's going to drive that? It's not coming from the White Our hope is not the White House, not the courthouse, not the State House. Our hope comes from the Word of God, the church house, as we think about the role we're supposed to play. And so, so what we offer the community is, is, is a family like we have here that loves each other, a purpose, a spiritual mission, and eternal life is offered in Jesus Christ. And let, let me just make this little side point, and don't take this wrong. It is not uncommon for some of us sometimes to say, well, I've got a co-worker whose mother's having cancer. Can the church pray for her? I've got a neighbor who's whatever. Can we pray for them? And, and that's fine to do that. But all we're praying for is physical wellness. What, after that, what happens after that cancer passes? What happens after that person gets better? Do we have no more prayers for that person? We need to be thinking spiritually. We need to be thinking, I have a co-worker who's not a Christian. Can we pray for that person? I've got a dear family member who's not a Christian. Can we pray for them? And I understand that is the thrust of what we read about in the New Testament, is that the church was driven spiritually. That made the difference. That's how they turned the world upside down, as the book of Acts says. We have the gospel <clears throat> to offer. Absolutely. It, it used to be that the phone would ring you know, in, in a, a church building and, and someone would ask this sort of question. Now, more often than not, it is, is reaching out through the website or social media or whatever it is. I, I fielded two of these questions this week, two of them. Uh, one was, uh, what do you have to offer uh, as far as divorce recovery is concerned? Any, any, any divorce recovery uh, support? And the other one was some sort of a singles ministry. Very, very, very common to get this sort of question what would Jesus do in that sort of scenario? What would Peter, Paul do? They would share the gospel. And, and so, sometimes singles ministry is nothing more than a dating service. So, <laughs> okay. so you know, it's, it's, again, that's not the purpose of the church. It's not to find you a mate. I mean, that, that's not what we're about. We're about spiritual driven as we see that. Right. So to wrap this up, uh, how can I help this church fulfill its mission? Two passages of Scripture. You, you referenced Ephesians chapter 4 earlier. Let me take it just a step further. You read for us verse 11 uh, of Ephesians 4. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. <clears throat> Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. I appreciated how just before we began this discussion, we sang, I want to be a worker for the Lord. That is a part of our mission, to equip each other for the work of ministry, the work of service, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. What can I do to, to, to help the church fulfill its mission? 
I want to be a worker of the Lord. I, I will not be a threat to the unity of the faith. You can read all about that just before this in Ephesians 4. Of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. What can I do to help this church fulfill this mission? I can continue to mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I would add to that where we were a couple of weeks ago in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let the church be the church joyfully, enthusiastically engage in that. We are the sacrifices. We are the priests. We are the household of God. We are living stones being built up into a holy temple in the Lord. Joyfully, joyfully engage in that. And then as we leave this building do good especially to those of the household of faith but as we have opportunity let's do good to everyone absolutely absolutely let's turn about the book of ephesians if you will chapter one <clears throat> this ends our chair series for this series and this year i guess but uh lord willing next week <clears throat> i'm gonna be in dallas doing this thing with preachers, and they're going to have a chair series. I think they kind of borrowed that from us. That's all what we did. So it's, it's going to become an interesting little setting as we do that. Near where I live, there's, there's a Lutheran church that kind of goes up the hill or somewhere, and they have a sign on the main road heading toward my house. And they always have little phrases on there. Usually it's verses or just, you know, some phrase. But they had one last week that really grabbed me. It says, Dear Lord, begin with me. I love that. Dear Lord, begin with me. In 1960, there was a change of president. Now, 1960, for a lot of you, is talking about Civil War, but <laughs> some of us remember 1960. And the old president going out was Eisenhower. He was a war general in World War II. He was old. He was a grandfather, and he just had that impression of oldness. Along came a young guy, charismatic he had a newborn baby. Hadn't been a newborn baby in the White House in decades. His name was John Kennedy. Caught the nation by fire just because of his youth, his energy, his ideas, his vision. And in his inaugural address in 1960, he said, Ask not what the country can do for you, but ask what you can do for the country. And when we think about our last question, we can flip that around by just changing one word. Instead of asking what this church can do for me, what can I do for this church? Dear Lord, begin with me. Ephesians chapter 1 now. Verse 15, Paul says, for this reason. And when you see statements like that, you just got to hit the brake pedal a minute and say, okay, for what reason? And you go back up to verse 13. He says, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, they believed that message he had preached. For this reason, for that reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, 
and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that you may know the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints, that which is surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. There are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Paul saw this group of believers in Ephesus and said, I've heard of your faith. I know how you love Christians everywhere. I know how you're doing these things. And I thank God for you. Sometimes we preachers do a lot of thumping on you all. Sometimes we're trying to push you. And sometimes we, we got problems we got to work on. But I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for what you're doing. Because of you, we do more than what we could. Jason and I are limited to what we can do. But you are going places, you're doing inviting, you're serving, you're doing so many things that we ourselves are not capable of doing. And that's what Paul was recognizing. He's recognizing the spirit that says, dear Lord, begin with me. And that really comes from the prophet Isaiah. When God says, who am I going to send? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And so the next time you get this little notion of saying, why doesn't somebody, just stop for a moment, why don't I? Why doesn't somebody pick up the trash? Why don't I pick up the trash? Why doesn't somebody, why don't I do that? Why don't I do those things? Dear Lord, begin with me. I like that. I like that a lot. This evening, if you're not a child of God, you need to be one. And it begins with Jesus. Begins with understanding that Jesus died for your sins. You need to change your ways, be baptized, as the Bible says, and walk with him. And then we hope through this series, and we got one more lesson next Sunday morning. We're going to kind of wrap this all up. But we hope through this series you understand that this is just not another church down the road. You go up and down Charlestown Road, you'll pass several church buildings. And they're all about the same thing, except one. There's one who's committed to being God's church doing God's work, God's way. That's all we're interested in. If that interests you, let us help you. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?